Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be here. I'm jazzed. Uh, I'm pumped because I just love being with you guys. And in quarantine for me, I began to realize like how incredible this opportunity is to gather together. Because I would sit at, at my house and, and watch the service on a laptop screen. It just wasn't the same. And that's because the people were missing for me. And so I'm just so excited to be here with all you guys this morning and just this community we have that's just made up of so many people just serving and giving, and it's just awesome. So I wanted to pause and appreciate just the people that uh, watch infants every Sunday in the nursery so that adults can, can, can worship God and experience that time, and, and leaders in uh, elementary and preschool that are just teaching and pouring into the kids here at Axis and student leaders and community group leaders and core group leaders. And there's people that, that pour communion glasses every Sunday or, or pass out communion and, and people that do video and tech and worship and that come and clean and mow the lawns and, and unlock doors and just do coffee and just so many people doing so many things to make this possible. So I wanted us to just pause and just give a round of applause for the God that brought us all together and just everyone that serves here. And uh, yeah, I think we always need to remind ourselves of just how awesome an opportunity we have and just how great this community is. So that's why I'm excited to be here. I hope you guys are too. And I'm Andrew. For those of you that don't know me, I get the opportunity to help lead our students and our young adults here at Axis. And if you want to join me, we're going to be jumping in to what God has for us this morning, found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, as we continue our series called Fresh Fruit, of how we can see the fruit of the Spirit grow in our own lives. In Galatians, Paul writes this, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you guys could join me in prayer. God, I just thank you so much, Father, that you just brought all of us together this morning and you, you just brought all of us together over the years to make this church I just pray this morning, God, for those of us that come in and, and we're weary and we're tired and maybe things behind the scenes aren't going the greatest and maybe there is, is struggle and trial there, that you would show up in our lives and bring comfort and bring peace and bring people that can support us. I pray for the people that, that are here this morning, and, and I feel this too sometimes, that, that we don't always know if you're there, and that you would show up in our lives. I pray for those of us that, that are going on a path that's not the best for us, that you would bring us back to yourself. And I pray, God, for those of us who life is just going all right, or life is going great right now, that you would just remind us to be grateful of these times and intentional about these times in life. And I pray most of all that you would speak through your word this morning to us, and I pray all this, the only way I can pray, and that is through your spirit 
and in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so as I was gifted this opportunity to speak about our series called Fresh Fruit, Stephen and Josh informed me what fruit I would be speaking on. And to my surprise, they said, goodness. And I was like, how am I supposed to go talk about goodness? Because I'm like, how is this going to come off well? I was going to walk up on stage. Hi, I'm Andrew Smith, and let me tell you how to be a good person. Right? Like, how do you talk about that? Or like, I'm Andrew, and let me tell you how to be good. Right? Like, how, how are you supposed to do that? Goodness? And, and even of all of the fruits, this seems to come off the most vague. What, what is that? What does it mean to be a good person or, or have goodness? And so as I dug into thinking about this, I began to think of the people I've met in my life that I would see as, as good people. And, and we've all met people throughout our life, like genuinely good people and nice people and people that are complimentary and encouraging. And then I thought of, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this, if you've ever met someone that's like too nice, where it's almost suspicious you're like, what's going on behind that? Like, uh, like, like you'll be like driving into work and you're like, I, I just, I had the worst morning. I hit traffic and, and I'm so late and I'm running behind and this jerk cut me off. And they're like, oh Lord, that is such a gift that you got to spend extra time in your motor vehicle and just enjoy just, just a time alone with God. And you're like, What? Like, what are you t- I was in traffic. Or you'll be like, oh, man, like the baseball game got rained out. Like, oh, like it rained. I really wanted to go. And they're like, oh, this is such a gift. Hasn't been raining recently. And this is just going to make the grass and the trees and the nature just be so green. And we're going to get to enjoy that gift this next week. And you're like, I'm just trying to complain here. Like, like and I imagine like kind, nice old ladies when I think of like just very nice people and, and, like, I imagine just someone so nice that you would just be like, man, the idea of a cookie is so good. And someone like Dolores here would just be like, here's a cookie for you. And maybe you didn't even want the cookie. You just like the idea of it. But Dolores went and bought you one. Or maybe you're just talking about how much you love Christmas gifts so much. And you turn around and Dolores has Christmas gifts for you. Or, or you talk about how much you love Disney movies. And lo and behold, someone like Dolores got you tickets to Disney World. Now, maybe there's no one that nice, and if there is, I would love to be friends with them. But <laughs> that's what we naturally think about when we hear goodness. We think of good people, people that do morally upright things and, and come off as good and, and nice and kind. But the thing is, is I was digging into the original writing of Paul's letter in the Greek. I began to understand this vague word goodness and what it meant in our lives the the word in greek that we translate here as goodness it reflects more than just the idea of doing good things instead it's talking about having a good heart so not just that you do good things but that you to your very core deep inside are motivated and seek after and want good and seek to do good things and want it and are motivated by it. Because I think we've all done things in our life that appear good and deep down it was out of obligation 
a guilt trip. But this is talking about a person that deep in their core, they want and desire and seek after good, and they have a good heart. So this fruit of the Spirit goodness, it starts with a good heart. And I began to dig into this idea of, of, of heart. I was a little confused, because naturally we think of, of drawing the shape of a heart or, or the muscle that is the heart. And a lot of times God's Word uses this word heart, and, and we don't really use it that way in, in, in outside of the church, and we mainly just think of these two things. And thankfully, when it talks about a good heart, it's not talking about a good shaped heart or, or a good muscle heart, which is a good thing because I am a terrible artist and have had heart problems. So if we're measuring heart on that, I'd be 0 for 2 on a good heart. <laughs> but thankfully, it is talking about our heart inside. As uh, I was looking this up, and a really gifted scholar wrote this about the heart. He said, our heart, if we can get it up, our heart is a composition of all three components of our soul, our mind, emotion, and will, plus the most important part of our spirit, our conscience. So when the Bible talks about having a heart that seeks after God or having a good heart, it's talking about not just that you do good things, but that your very person, the part of you that people can't see, the part of you that's you more than your body, that that part of you, your heart, is good. And that is where goodness starts in the heart. And that is the goodness we want as the fruit of the Spirit. And the good news is we all have a desire to have a good heart. You can see that when we express, like, I want to be a better person or, or I want to be a good dad or mom, or, or I want to be a better coworker. I want to be a good student or classmate or friend. We're not just saying that we want to do good actions in those places, that, but, but that we genuinely want to be a good friend, that we want to our core to be a good spouse or parent or classmate. We all have that desire to have a good heart, to be a better person. And you may say, Andrew, I want that for myself, but I don't always see that. If, if people could actually see my heart, if people could actually see my thoughts and emotions and what I want, it wouldn't be that good. I think a lot of times we can be so much, so, so focused on the bad inside that we don't see the good. But here's my encouragement to that. We all, each and every single one of us, have goodness in our hearts. We all have goodness in our hearts, even if you don't believe that about yourself. Because here's the thing, the very beginning of God's word in Genesis, he says that he created each and every single one of us, human beings, in his very image. That we have some resemblance, some characteristic of God himself, and God is a good God. And we are created with godliness inside us, and, and, and that, that means we have goodness in our hearts because God is a good God and we were made in his image. So just as in ancient times, if you wanted to see what the God Zeus was like, if you wanted to see what, how the God Zeus resembled or, or what he looked like, you would go to a temple and, and you would find a statue or an idol to see what Zeus looked like. But there's never been in human history an idol or a statue you would need to go to to see what Jehovah God was like because that is because God created us in his image. He did not need to carve himself in an image of rock, 
but on our hearts inside each and every single one of us. And we all bear that image no matter what. We have godliness inside us and goodness in our hearts. We all have goodness, and we're all made in the image of God. But here's the thing. I think we all desire to cultivate and to grow that goodness inside. When I think about growth of of a skill or something, I immediately think of my storied basketball career. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I led the state of Kentucky in three-point shooting percentage my senior year of high school. Now, not as impressive as you think, because it was very much on a technicality. If you sorted on the stats webpage for Kentucky basketball, I did show up number one. And my percentage was 100%. But then you look over and realize I only shot one three-point shot and only made one. So technically, I did lead the state of Kentucky in three-point percentage in my senior year. So truthfully, I was not that great of a basketball player. I was a decent one. But going back to fourth and fifth grade, it was a much different story. You see, I was downright terrible. But in grade school, you don't get cut from the basketball team. Everybody makes it. Uh, So everybody remembers those days, you know, all the kids are playing. And you know the kid where you're like, you know what? At least he's having fun. That was me. Or you're like, oh, we won't see him come middle school cuts. That was me. Or like, oh, we got to have even playing time. Better bring him on in. That was me. I scored a total of zero points in fourth and fifth grade. But here's the crazy thing. I thought I was one of the top three players on every team I was on. I was delusional. Like, like when, 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 when kids would make the game-winning shot, I was the kid guarding him on defense that let him make the game-winning shot. Like I was so, so bad. Now, yes, I had a little bit of basketball skill, but I was one of the worst players. I scored zero points. But here's the thing. I thought I was good. I wanted to be one of the good players, but that wasn't enough. And I found that out come sixth grade when 75 sixth grade students tried out at Turkey Foot Middle School for the team. And it ended with a giraffe leg, Rex Specs looking guy. Like that is not me. Imagine that guy in the 2000s, skinnier, even more long-limbed and uncoordinated, bigger goggles, and that was me. And I got cut first five on the very first day of tryouts. I was one of the worst five players out of 75, and it ended with me crying in a hallway. And I looked around at who I was cut with and realized I'm not that good of a basketball player. (laughs) The truth finally came through. Cue the Space Jam montage. This was me in seventh grade that summer. I was like Michael Jordan in the opening scene of Space Jam, practicing every night in my backyard at my hoop. And, and, you know, Michael Jordan's dad comes out. He's like, hold on, Pops, I got to wake one more shot. And he's playing all night and, like, waking everybody up. That was me. I trained all summer going into seventh grade. I was intentional, I worked hard, I practiced, and not as much like Michael Jordan, did not end up that successful, but I did make the middle school JV B-team practice squad, and I was the 14th best player on that team, but I made it. (laughs) Thank you. But that came 
through intentionality. See, earlier I thought I was one of the good players. I wanted it. But it wasn't until I intentionally cultivated and grew that skill that I began to find it within me. Even though in fourth and fifth grade I had some basketball skill, I hadn't grown it. And when I think about cultivation and growing, I think about farming. And that's what Jesus thought of as we find ourselves in Luke chapter 7. Jesus uses this picture of farming to describe how God's word grows in someone's heart. And in Luke 7, sorry, Luke 8, in Luke 8, verse 4, it says this, as Jesus begins to paint this picture of farming. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. And some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than it was sown. You see, Jesus wasn't just talking about seeds, but here he tells us that the seed talked about in this picture is the word of God. And it's talking about how the word of God penetrates people's hearts and how that grows up inside them. And we can see clearly that there's different results of how the seed grows in people's hearts. But what's interesting is the difference is not in the seed. The difference is in the soil. It was the same seed, the same word of God going out to all of these hearts. But the difference in growth came from the soil that it found itself in. And what's interesting about farmers is you don't just happen upon amazing soil for a specific type of plant, but you cultivate it. You, you, you intentionally go about making an environment that will promote growth for that type of plant. You, you look at the water and how much sun it's getting and, and the shade and the type of soil and, and maybe like chemicals or pesticides I don't really know that much about farming, I'm going to be honest. But right, there is some intentionality that the farmer puts in to make the soil better for the growth of the seed. And so we must do that in our own lives. If we want to see growth in the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts, we must cultivate a soil and an environment in our lives for that growth. And we must be intentional about it. And you may say, well, Andrew... Life's not going that great right now. Things are hard. Like, there's struggle and there is trial. And so I don't know how I'm supposed to have good soil in that. But what's interesting is later on in verse 15, Jesus says this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. What's interesting is even in the good soil, there is still perseverance. Just because there is a good soil does not mean you're not going to have to persevere. But you can still have good soil amidst the trial and temptation. You see, perseverance means there's something to struggle through, something to work through. 
So just having good soil does not make us absent of having to struggle and go through trial and temptation. But good soil helps us to persevere through those times. So how can we be intentional about the soil of our hearts? Well, a couple intentional ways that we can make our environment better for growth are a couple habits. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. Other people call them habits. I'm going to call them intentional ways to promote growth. But some intentional ways to promote growth, the first one is an intentional rest. It is a command that God gives us all throughout his word to rest. And I think it's one of the commands that we so often forget and miss. And I think oftentimes it's because we're too proud to admit that we need it. Because if you're like me, it's much more hard to, f- to find yourself in goodness when you're tired and burnt out and worn out. And so find a way to have intentional rest. Maybe for you it's a 10 to 15 minute nap. Maybe for you it's walking out in nature or just taking a pause or reading a book. Because we all know we can rest sometimes, what we think is rest, and end up more stressed. If you're like me, sometimes you'll watch a TV show for an hour or two, and you think you're relaxed, and you find yourself not rested at all at the end of it. Or, or we go to our phone, and we're going to find rest in the distraction and enjoyment, and in scrolling social media, we find ourselves even more stressed out than we were before. So what genuinely brings you rest? And it might be different for you, because different types of crops require different types of methods, but we all need rest. Another intentional way we can promote growth is consistent conversation with God. One of my students recently, we were talking about challenges for each other that we could hold each other accountable to. And one of my students said, I just want to have one good conversation a day with God. And I love the way he worded that. Because a lot of times we think about prayer and we think we have to sound a certain way. Or it has to be a certain length of time. But the truth is, all throughout God's word, He just encourages consistency in prayer, not how good it sounds, not how long it is. In fact, when Jesus, God himself, modeled prayer, it is surprisingly short for the God of the universe to pray. The Lord's prayer is short and simple, but God constantly encourages us to be consistent in conversation with him. A couple other ways is by listening to God. We can do that by reading his word. And instead of scanning like a novel or going to it to check off a checklist, thinking genuinely about what this tells us about God and ourselves, or maybe it's just meditation, which God encourages throughout Scripture, taking a pause and some deep breaths and reminding ourselves what is true and what God has for us. These are all intentional ways that we can curate and just cultivate the soil in our lives to promote growth in our hearts. And the thing is, we've been talking about a lot how to grow the goodness in our own hearts. And we've been focusing a lot on ourselves. But this morning, I also want us to think about how we can see the goodness in the hearts of others. Because a good heart sees goodness in the hearts of others. We were not the only ones made in the image of God. Every human being you interact with is. Every commenter on a post, every picture we see online is a human being 
that has the image of God imprinted on them. Every jerk that cuts us off on the road, every cashier at Walmart, everyone we say, how's your day going? Good, good. All of those people have the image of God imprinted on them, and they have goodness in their hearts. And as we have a good heart, we must see the goodness in the hearts of others. But the truth is, at least for me, a lot of times I might know a lot of people, but I might not know all of their hearts. I might know a lot of people's appearance and what they do, but not who they truly are deep down. Because the truth is we often focus on appearance and we're often content with the surface level. I realized in high school how little <laughs> my friends knew about the true me when uh, I, to my complete shock, was told I was going to be the salutatorian in my class. Completely shocked. I, I mean, I, I was good at studying for tests. I tried hard in school. I'd gotten good grades. I did not think I was going to be salutatorian. And so, you know, I'm happily surprised. And I begin talking to my friends, and there was this common theme coming up where multiple people were like, Andrew, we didn't think you were smart. I was like, what? And they're like, no, 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 no. Oh, I'm sorry, that came off bad. We didn't think you were that smart. And I'm like, okay, like that's so much better. And again and again, people were like, really? You're the salutatorian. Huh, wouldn't have seen that one coming. And I was like, hold on, like these are my friends, like genuine people I hung out with. And they were just like, didn't know you were salutatorian smart. I was like, what? And, and it got so bad that a conspiracy theory began to spread throughout the school in my grade and the grades beneath me that the school administration had messed up. And me being a salutatorian was an absolute scam. And it really belonged to this other girl in my class. It was an accident that I was salutatorian. So there's probably some people out there this day that don't believe it. But I began to realize how little some of my friends knew about me. But the truth is, I've done the same thing in my own life. I've known people without truly knowing their heart. It happened to me recently with someone I care a lot about and a good friend of mine. Some of you guys might know him. His name's JB. And for those of you guys that have met JB, he sometimes plays guitar up here. And uh, he's just a funny guy. He's just an absolute goofster. He's a total clown, one of the funniest people I knew. And he plays guitar and he loves music. And for about a year or two of him interning at Axis, that was kind of what I thought about JB. He's a funny guy. He plays guitar. He works at my church. But it wasn't until I began to have more and more genuine conversations with JB, and, and it was really pushed by me actually living with him, that I began to know the heart of JB. We began to have serious conversations. I began to see what stressed him out, what he struggled with. I began to learn about his family, what made him passionate, what made him excited, why he loved playing music, why he loved God. I learned about his faith journey and, and what he was naturally gifted at, and I learned what he needed prayer for and encouraged. I learned so much about JB's heart. And he was a person I had knew for a long time before that. But it wasn't until that moment when I began to know JB's heart. And I think many of us can be the same way. We know many people, but oftentimes due to busyness 
and social media and just the rush of life, we sometimes fail to genuinely sit down and get to know the hearts of those around us. But here's the thing. As we seek to be more like Jesus, and as we rely on Jesus' spirit to aid in our growth, we begin to be more like Jesus. And the thing about Jesus is Jesus saw the hearts of people, not just their appearance. Jesus saw the hearts of people, not just their appearance. And this brings me to my favorite, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Luke 7, starting in verse 36. And it says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. See, Pharisees were religious leaders in Jewish culture at the time. And a lot of times they get a bad rap. A lot of times they disagreed with Jesus. But some of them genuinely hung out with him and loved Jesus. And Jesus is at the house of this religious leader. By all appearances, by all accounts, he was a good guy. If you were a Pharisee, you would have been at temple every weekend for service. You would have tithed. You would have given to charity. You would have prayed in public and prayed well. You would know all the names of God. You would sing and worship. He would have been a good guy. He would have followed the rules and followed the commands. So Jesus is sitting at this, by all accounts, good guy's table. And bursting in, in verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. Jesus is at the table with this good guy. And bursting in comes a prostitute. Or as the message translation words it, a whore. What people in town would have called her are a bunch of other names I probably shouldn't say on a Sunday morning. But a wicked, evil woman in that town. A woman that had torn apart marriages. That had made, made men and women unfaithful. And that had hurt women and children, and men's lives. By all accounts, a sinner. And the Pharisee, this good guy, looks at Jesus and says, if you actually knew what kind of a person this woman was, you would not want her touching your feet. And Jesus turns it on his head when he says, in verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love 
has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. This good guy says, Jesus, if you knew the person that this woman was, you wouldn't want her touching your feet. Jesus says, do you know who this woman is? Because I know her heart. By all appearances, she wasn't that great of a person. But Jesus saw her heart and the incredible and abundant love that she had for Jesus and that she desired a relationship with him. Something the Pharisee could not see in her. And so, as the band comes up, I want to challenge us to a response of our own. Because the truth is, we are not the only ones imprinted with the image of God, but everyone we meet and know. And we are not the only ones with goodness in our hearts. For everyone we work with, talk with, and eat with have goodness in their hearts. So as you guys have a sheet of paper and some pens underneath your chairs, I want you to thoughtfully consider three people in your life. Someone at church, someone in your family, and someone in another area of life. And I want you to describe the goodness that you see in their heart. And be descriptive. And you might say, Andrew, they already know this about themselves. Maybe they don't. Maybe you've never told them. Someone at our church, someone in your family, someone in another area of life. And maybe, just maybe, I would challenge us to choose someone that we don't always see eye to eye with that we don't always agree with, that has a very different personality or worldview than us or different stances, someone that rubs us the wrong way or that we might have a past with. Describe the goodness you see in them because we all have it. And my challenge is for us to go beyond just writing this on a sheet of paper or thinking about it in this moment, but that this week we would all describe to those three people whether on a text or in a call or in person, the goodness that we see in them. Someone here at church, someone in your family, someone in another area. And this week, tell them the goodness that you see in them. And with God's help, I hope we can do it. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for bringing us together, Father. Just this time to rest and to enjoy and to worship you. And I pray you would help us, help us to have your eyes and to see other people's hearts, to seek to know people's hearts and see the goodness within them. And I pray you would help us this week to describe and dictate to people all that we see within them that maybe they don't see themselves or no one has ever told them. I pray you would help us in this. We can only do this through your spirit. And I pray all this through your spirit and in Jesus' name. As the band continues to play,